Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brandon Turner. And we're your host of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. And as a reminder, we are independent. We do not take sponsorships. We do not get paid by anybody that we talk about on our show. That's very intentional so that you guys can rest assured that the information we provide is unbiased and is not financially motivated. That's right. All right. So this is show number 22, and we've got a lot to get to today. We're also getting ready to head out to the Mint Collective in Las Vegas, leaving tomorrow. I'm excited. Brandon was able to make it, coming Mm -hmm. with, so uh, we should have fun over the weekend going to that. Let's just go ahead, though, and we'll cut the um, chit-chat, yakety-yak, as they say, and jump right in with the rundown of the show. All right, yeah, so we're going to start with some grading submission updates. Uh, Then in the halftime report, we'll catch everybody up on the latest hobby news, as well as some of the recent auction results. From there, we're going to do film study. Now uh, we got a bunch of stuff to do. We're going to start with hockey since we didn't get to that last time. We'll touch on some big trades, and now that the trade deadline has passed, we'll also review the playoff picture, and then we'll cover the latest moves in the NFL as well as in baseball, and then we'll also talk a little bit about, a little bit about the NBA playoff picture and also men's and women's March Madness, and then we will wrap up the show. So basically everything today. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. Wow. So All right, so we will jump right in and get started. So let's start by welcoming any new listeners. If you are new to the show, welcome. We're glad you're here uh, and listening and hope you enjoy the show. Please subscribe. Give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined and tell all your friends and family about us. Yeah, please do that. That helps. We would appreciate that very much. And drop us a line. Tell us what you like and don't like. Give us your feedback. We truly do listen. And we use that feedback to make the show better and more enjoyable for everyone. Okay, so we said show number. This is show number 22. And so keeping with our theme of athletes that wore the same jersey number as our show, it's getting a little challenging with these lists because a lot sometimes these athletes are changing numbers. Like they may have only worn that number for like a year or two. Well, that's what I'm going to say. Like you have one on here that's only his rookie. You stop putting people on the number list where they only have it for one season. (laughs) Well, but that one was kind of a big one. He's talking about Moses Malone. He wore 22 as rookie. But if season. he only wore it one season, why would you not use this? I don't know because later on, because then like you have because now you have like people that don't show up when their like main number is here. Like who? Like Jimmy. Yeah, well, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I thought about him. That's happened we before too. Him we have we have before too. We put um we put Jimmy on show number 21. There's another player we did that too as well that didn't show up. I forget who it was. Yeah, but, but remember we put Jimmy last week mm-hmm. on 21 because he had 21 with the Bulls. Yeah, well, but he's 22 now. That's what I'm saying. Like Moses Malone will now be left out of a future list, and people are going to be like, "Why isn't Moses well, but, Malone in that but list?" But 22 was on Moses's rookie card, and okay. 21 was on Jimmy Butler's rookie card. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we we got to come up with like, what are the rules? Well, like if he, what anyway, are the rules? Just like how many? Because Jimmy Butler hasn't been 22 either, right? He was 20. Who after the Bulls? Where did he go? Who did he play for? I think after the, after the Bulls, he went to Philadelphia for like half a season and then went to Miami. Okay. I think. Because wasn't he 23 with No, maybe someone? he went to the... Because I thought... Did he get drafted by the Bulls or the Timberwolves? Bulls. Well, then he went to the Timberwolves after that. Was he 23 for a season? I feel like he was 23. He was, he 20, was 23 somewhere. Yeah. And then in and he Miami, Miami, he's 22 because... Cleveland. No. He didn't play in Cleveland. Cleveland. In Miami, he, he's 22 because his um, MJ's number is retired in Miami. Exactly. But... Yeah. Either way, just keep going. All right. Well, Clyde Drexler from Portland Trailblazers. I'm originally from Oregon, so that's cool. Emmett Smith is another big one. Football. 
running back, leading rusher in the NFL, right? Emmett? I'm not sure. I think he is, pretty sure. Um, Clayton Kershaw, another homer alert there, Los Angeles Dodger. And then we, as we talk about Moses Malone, Elgin Baylor, vintage basketball right there. And then our it was like six, the first superstar. Our, yeah. Like real superstar. Elgin. Yeah. Yeah. And then our 615 hometown hero, Derek Henry with the Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some soccer mixed in here. Arturo Vidal and Christian Pulisic. They both wear 22. George Carl, when he was a player, obviously not as a coach. Larry Nance, basketball. George Blanda in football. Christian McCaffrey is a Stanford boy, but with uh, the Carolina Panthers now. We also have some WNBA. Cheryl Swoops, she's a legend in the WNBA, or number 22. Jim Palmer, and then hockey, you have Mike Bossy. Nice. Yeah, it's a good list, actually. I'm telling you, these like next few shows are going to be a lot of good names. Well, yeah, we got 23 next, so yeah. that's going to be... <laughs> yeah, 23, 24, and then... 25 there's probably a lot of how are we gonna do yeah 23 is gonna be well we'll get to that we'll save that for that show but all right so and card wise all the you know the rookie cards of pretty much everybody we just mentioned are pretty expensive so i don't know if i don't know if i could tell you who the most expensive maybe moses malone we'll talk about him in our halftime report because there was one of his rookie cards just auctioned off I think it was in the pwcc auction set a record so could be moses i don't know all right all right well, let's continue psa submission so we did last time we forgot to talk about the uh cards we were going to send in we had a 20 card allocation in one of their latest economy events actually got a second one too so we actually have two 20 card allocations since the last time we did a show but one we've already sent in, and so figured we would just let people know. There's a couple things that we had another Walter Payton rookie that included with that. That was the 1976 Tops card. Um, I posted on our social media sites some of the cards we picked up at uh, the Nashville card show. So those two Joel Embiid, Don Russ Optic, My House cards. One was the orange, one was the lime green. Both were serial numbered. Those were very clean cards. So sent those both in. Um, you had a couple of cards here. You had your, you've got two 2008 tops cards. One is the LeBron James, uh, the other is the Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. That one actually has LeBron on it. It's a Kobe Bryant card, but Kobe's going up against LeBron. It's a classic card. And then that LeBron James is a gold. So decided to get those back. Had David Robinson's rookie card. It's a 1989 hoops. Had Magic Johnson's rookie card, or at least. What I his his first standalone card because his rookie card is the one where it's him, Bird, and Dr. J on the same card, but this is from the 1981 Tops set. Um, what else had a 1975 Kareem, a 1974 George Gervin, which I think that's George Gervin's rookie. Um, had an 84 Don Russ, Don Mattingly. Look for any one that was collecting in the junk wax era in the 1980s. That 84 Don Russ Mattingly is like the card probably equivalent to those that were collecting griffey they've kind of view the 89 upper deck griffey rookie is like the card well for 
those that are a little older than that, the Don Russ 84 Mattingly was, and I also had a um, Don, uh, not a Don Russ, I had a Don Mattingly that uh, with ni- from 1981 when he played here in our hometown with the Nashville Sounds. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Had a couple other vintage cards I sent in at a 58 uh, Tops Ted Williams and had a 59 Fleer Ted Williams. That's actually a specialty set. It's, it's Fleer did it, but it's all Ted Williams cards. The second card in that list is actually Ted with his idol, which was Babe Ruth. Um, 1960 Fleer set is kind of a specialty set with a bunch of baseball greats. Had, uh, so I sent in Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Ted Williams out of that set because I've already got the Ty Cobb graded in that one. I think I have that in an eight. Um, had a Jason Dominguez from Bowman Sterling. It was a blue refractor, so I think it was numbered to 25. So anyway, a few other things. I'm not sure what. It, oh, had a 1984 Tops. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show. USFL card, which is the actual rookie, non-NFL rookie card of Steve Young. It's a highly sought after one so yeah so that's kind of it's kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of different things but uh that's the order we got going in and then there did get one other allocation um, from psa and one of their economy events and so that was also a 20 card order but what i'm going to do with that one is i'm actually going to send in i've got a bunch of that will actually have the whole set of the 1962 tops bucks it's baseball they did a tops did a football and a baseball bucks they were actual like looked like currency dollar bills um and there were i think 96 different players in the dollar bills rep were like one dollar five dollar ten dollar denominations they weren't actually real currency so i think you could buy them in a pack for like a penny or something back mm-hmm. then it was before i was born so i don't know for sure but um and then a lot of them were folded so if you can get ones and the ones i've got some of them are unfolded and so some of those are the ones I'm sending in because it's hard to find them unfolded because they in the packs they had to fold them to fit them in there. Anyway, so I'm going to send that in because uh, they're all pretty clean. One of the problems with those 62 bucks though is they were always off center and miscut. And I've got several that are like that, but I also have several that are pretty well centered for for what you normally see with those. So I'm excited to send those in. Uh, all the whole 20 card order is going to be just all the tops bucks, and so it's all the and it's all the Hall of Famers. There's a Mickey Mantle, a Willie Mays, a Stan Musial, a Warren Spahn, a Frank Robinson, Ernie Banks, Whitey Ford, Roger Maris, um, Sandy Koufax, Roberto Clemente, although he's listed as Bob Clemente on that. Uh, there's a Hank Aaron. There's a bunch of them. So they're kind of cool. They've got um, on the uh, the front of the card, it's got where you normally have the mug shot of the, or the profile picture of the president. The it's got the, Yeah, whatever you call it. It's got the picture of the player. They kind of put the team logo on one side and then the league and I think kind of a fun fact on the other, um, put their name beneath the, the portrait. There's also a sketch of the ballpark that they play in. Um, it's a cool, I like a set. I like the set, it's cool. So, and they do well graded. There's low pop counts on those things. Um, there's not a lot of them out there. So I'm excited to send those in and see what we get. So once we get those back, we'll let you know how that went by the way maybe another i don't know if this will be a hot take alert or not here but uh i would say that the increased cost of grading has really i think made a lot of existing slabs more attractive because 
why risk buying a raw card and spending the time and money to go through the grading process and then maybe not get what you had hoped for when you could just buy the grading card for in many cases either less than equal to or maybe just slightly more than what it would otherwise cost to go through that process and then you don't take the risk because you may go through that process and may not get the grade you were hoping for and I have noticed and I've posted about this on our social media and I've seen it from other people posting the same thing there have been some inconsistencies with the grading company's results and so I think you know you have to think about um, how you know how that might impact what you're trying to do if you're buying raw and getting it graded and that type of thing and I, I, I think it's to be expected right all these grading companies have had to hire a whole bunch of brand new graders so a lot of them don't have a lot of experience or expertise grading now obviously they should have quality control processes but we've seen some things like that I posted on social media that we had that did I talk about this on the last show that Michael Jordan baseball card I yes think so. it was the yeah, upper deck yeah so I had graded it it looked very clean. I thought it could get a 10. I thought if they graded tough, maybe it gets a 9, but certainly a 9 or a 10, worst case scenario, 9. Well, it got a 5. <laughs> it's like, and, I'm, and I got a bunch of 5s in my collection of vintage cards. I can show you what a 5 looks like and compare that to what this Jordan card looks like. It's not even close. So I don't know what happened there, but anyway, but that's the kind of thing. Like, so that, you know, that wasn't, if I, if it, if I would have known it was going to get a 5, there's, I wouldn't even send it in. It's not worth it to pay that cost now i don't think it should have got a five it's way cleaner the the corners are are sharp edges are crisp no chipping nothing it's very clean and the centering is almost perfect no scratches creases you know nothing all that it's it's an absolutely clean card anyway that's enough about that but the point there is that you know depending what your purpose of buying a card is if you are wanting to get it graded and you're thinking about buying raw and then getting it graded in some cases it might actually make more sense just to go ahead and buy the graded card that you're after because you may be disappointed in the grade that you get when you when you do it raw and may have to you know like what i'm having to do right now i reached out to psa and about that jordan card and so they gave me shipping information to send it back to them so they can take a look at it again and review to see if a mistake was made and possibly get it regraded we'll see i mean i certainly think they made a mistake but um We'll see. And I don't say that lightly. I know there's a lot of guys that'll say, oh, I pulled it pack fresh. It should be a 10. And that's not the way it works. You have to really, we've talked about this before. You got to look at the card. You got to look at all the aspects of it, the corners, edges, surface centering, all that kind of stuff. And you got to get it under magnification because a lot of stuff won't show up to the naked eye. You also sometimes got to get it in the right light because sometimes, you know, little slight blemishes may not show even under magnification unless you kind of get the, the in the right light to get it to catch and see it. So there's kind of an art to it. But I can tell you having graded a lot of cards and never having been off, you know, most of the time I'm spot on. The only the farthest away I've ever been is one point is one grade where like I thought it was a 10 and got a nine or I thought it was a nine and got a 10. So this, that Jordan one was the first one I had that big of a difference. But anyway, something to think about in your buying strategy. And then one other thing I'll say about maybe another hot take, I guess. We're not doing a hot take segment, but, and that's with comps. I did want to talk about this because a lot of people will talk about comps. Hey, what's this card selling for? What do the comps look like? But the one thing I would tell our listeners is that view comps really as a starting point for a negotiation or a discussion of what that card ought to be worth because think of it this way if everybody just paid whatever the last comp was the prices of cards would never move they'd be flat 
and you know you just pay the same price every time that's the comp right but obviously that's not reality that's not the way the real market works and the other thing i would say because i hear this all the time I'll, I'll listen to some other podcasts or I'll listen to watch some social media you know posts or influencers in the space and they'll talk about oh this card you know it's moving on this you know there'll be some news and look at the cards moving the last sale was you know 230 dollars and the sale before that was 180 dollars. so man that's a big move look be careful one or two transactions does not make a trend and so you gotta you know kind of take some of that with a grain of salt i'll give you an example we'll talk about your boy jimmy butler that 2012 panini prism rookie card if you go look at card ladder you will see that card has fluctuated from about $250 on the high side to about $150 on the low side over the last, say, three or four months. But it keeps bouncing around between those prices. Now, that's a pretty wide swing, right? $250 over on $150, that's what, 67% higher? $250 is like 67% higher than $150. So that's a wide swing, and, and $150 is 33% lower than or something, whatever that math is, than $250. So it's a wide swing, but there's no discernible trend. The last sale was about $230, a little towards the upper end of that range. But the next one could very well be $160. And then the one after that could be $240. And so just because you have one or two sales transactions doesn't mean that you've got some trend and you should, you know, we don't know. You don't know what everyone's personal situation is, what their motivation for buying or selling cards. Someone might have had to liquidate a card fast, and so they might be selling it for cheap just to get rid of it because they need to raise funds for something. you know. Or someone else may really want a card, and so they're willing to pay up and bid up for it, and so it's a higher price than maybe what otherwise that card would sell for. So you just don't know what people's circumstances are. And so you really need to see several transactions before you can start saying something is a trend and obviously need to kind of see him like with this Jimmy Butler there is no trend you look at the last several transactions they're all over the board they're all in between that range that I just talked about so there's no real discernible trend up or down so anyway so just remember that and kind of pay attention to that or think about that when you're using comps to kind of turn val- determine values on cards you know the the other thing too is while something might sell, let's say that card sold for $230, you think, great, I'm going to go try to sell mine for $230 or $250. Well, you might not. There might not be enough takers. Maybe there was only that, you know, maybe there's only that one buyer. Maybe there, you know, hopefully there's more, but you know what I mean? Like, you don't know how many buyers are in the market for a card at any given time. So maybe there's not a taker at that price. Or buyers could have a hard time finding your card. Where do you have it listed? Do you have it on eBay? Do you have it on MySlabs? You sell it on social media? What kind of following do you have? How many people are going to see it? Maybe they don't see your card. Maybe they see someone else's card. They buy that card for $210. They buy someone else's card for $250 because they saw it first before they saw yours. This is kind of what we mean when we talk about some of the friction and the complexity in transacting in the space. So there are kind of a variety of factors that can make one person's experience vastly different from someone else's. And I think that sometimes the veterans and influencers in the hobby miss that point because they often don't see it remember they've got big followings they've got a lot of outlets that are widely available to them to kind of quickly and buy and sell cards but that's not really necessarily the case for everyone else in the hobby others that might be kind of more on the fringe of the hobby they're participating more as a hobby not as their job and so their experience might be different and so for our listeners just kind of keep that in mind when you hear about some of these prices you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. 
got to make sure there's, you know, you're looking at something that has more than one transaction before you kind of decide what the trend. Look at the last several transactions to get a feel uh, for what the value of that card might be. And, and then also think about what the depth of the market is, what the liquidity, how many buyers and sellers are out there. Because if a card's not in high demand, there may not be a lot. And so there might be one trend, you know, another transaction might not happen for another three months. So you kind of think about all those things. And by the way, we're going to talk about this a little later, so I won't get into too much here. But the same is true with the fractional ownership markets. And there's a similar thing in terms of the liquidity. And we've talked about this, how they really need to grow the liquidity and the number of participants that are on those platforms um, so they can get more of an efficient market. But right now, that lack of liquidity can cause some really significant volatility in the pricing of cards on those platforms. But just because something says, hey, it last traded at this price on one of those platforms, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to buy it or sell it at that price. We'll talk about more of that in later when we kind of in the halftime report when we talk about some of the collectible um, buyout offerings and so forth. So I'm digress digressing a little bit here. So let's go ahead and move on and we'll jump into the halftime report. All right. So not sure if we mentioned this before, but my slabs now sells raw cards and recently announced that they have completed over 700 raw card sales with only one return. Yeah, we actually had our first bad experience, not with my slabs, but with a seller on my slabs. I had bought a card the seller didn't ship it, but this is why we like to use MySlabs. MySlabs is very helpful, and so hopefully we're going to be able to get that taken care of. We're going to be refunded the purchase price. And MySlabs, it's a you know you don't get second chances. So the buyer didn't ship the card. There's a three-day window in which they have to ship it. They didn't. The buyer MySlabs kicked the buyer off the platform. That's one of the things we like about it is if people aren't fulfilling their end of the bargain. My slabs kicks them off. That's it. They're not going to be allowed to transact there. So anyway, so don't like the fact that we paid for a card and didn't get it shipped to us, but do like the fact that my slabs is taking the necessary action to remove that seller from the platform and also working with PayPal and us uh, in order to get a refund for the amount that we paid on that. In grading company news, HGA provided some updates this past week. First, they continue to get caught up on their backlog. Yeah, this is really one of the main reasons we haven't talked about them much because they really fell behind. Well, that and that obviously wasn't good. They've been working to get caught up, like you said. Sounds like they're making some progress, but also sounds like they got a ways to go because I think they said in their update they're about 45 to 50 business days behind their normal turnaround. So if the normal turnaround time was 30 business days, they're 45 to 50 days behind that. So still got a ways to go. That's down from, I think, 70 or 80 business days before making progress, but still got a ways to go. HGA also announced some exciting news, and that is that they will now be listed as an option on eBay as a professional grading company, which will allow customers to boost the sale of their cards, as they will now be able to use HGA as the listed grader. Yeah, that was. I think that's really good news for HGA. I was happy to see that, and that should give them a boost in the marketplace for sure. PWCC announced a power buyer feature that will help users find the best deals. Yeah, so this speaks to kind of what we were talking about, about the complexity and how do you find cards that might be for sale and what, you know, a good price versus a bad price. So maybe another kind of hot take alert here, but I would tell you as technology like this and innovation from other tech companies coming into the space, as that continues, it's going to kind of, I'll use an investment term from my world, it's going to arbitrage away a lot of the opportunities. Um, it's going to bring more transparency, more efficiency to the market. While all of that is good, it also means that it will likely be fewer deals that you may find in future years 
you know, going kind of going on the hunt for, you know, f- trying to find cards and, and opportunities that maybe not everyone else might be aware of or may, may have difficulty finding. And I do have to admit that there is, that is some of the fun in the hobby for, I, I feel like that for myself, but I know I've talked to others, men and women that both feel the same way that some of the fun in the hobby is kind of the work involved, the sort of sleuthing around, you know, looking at different sites and different eBay stores and other marketplaces and social media places and everywhere, kind of trying to find a good deal on a card. So I'm a little torn on this because I do think the efficiency is good. We need that, but it will be kind of sad to see some of that treasure hunting, you know, um, experience that kind of ultimately go away. Now it's not going away anytime soon, but, but as more of this technology comes in, it is going to make that a little more difficult because it'll just be readily available. Anyone can just punch up a site, like say this PWCC is an example. You just punch up a site and instantly kind of find everything you're looking for. So it takes away a little bit of that treasure hunting aspect. But anyway, what else you got? In fractional ownership news, Collectible received a buyout offer for their Luka Doncic game-worn and autographed shoes. Uh, the offer was for $100,000. Yeah, those shoes came public on the platform at $82,000. They hadn't even reached the secondary trading market yet because remember there's typically a two or three month lag between the IPO and when they actually hit the market for trading. And actually before shareholders could even vote on that offer, a higher offer came in for 115000 So shareholders now have 40 hours to decide on whether to accept that. Yeah, and that was yesterday. So we should hear by late Friday tomorrow. We're doing this Thursday night or maybe early Saturday on the results of that. Also, the results are in for the buyout offer of $35,000 that Collectible received for the Ronald Acuna Jr. 2017 Bowman Chrome Prospect Autograph Gold Refractor, serial number to 50, graded to 9.5 by BGS with a 10 auto grade. There's that mouthful that you were talking about last time. Mm. That offer was rejected by shareholders. And what happens when an offer is rejected? Yeah, the card just, just yeah, it just stays on the platform and continues to trade as it did before that offer came. It's basically like the offer never was received and just stays on the platform and trades. All right, and remember that card came public uh, at twenty six thousand dollars and was trading at just under twenty five thousand prior to the thirty five thousand offer. Collectible also announced their desktop trading is now available. Yeah, that trading is um, through their website because previously the trading was only available on the mobile app. So I think that's going to be a nice feature. And by the way, going to go off script here a little bit and talk about this is when we you know, said earlier we want to hit on the fractional market and some of the things there. So look, when you use those platforms, be careful of some of those big moves like we were talking about before that some of these might get reported in social media. But just remember, there's not a lot of liquidity in these markets yet. It's a very shallow market in most cases. And so you may not really be able to capitalize on those moves. Good to look and see if you can. And if you can, great, take advantage of it. But just know you may not be able to. And so I'll illustrate this a little bit, what I'm talking about. I'll give a couple examples. So if you look at the actual order book, which is the people that that are putting in orders to either buy or sell particular cards, Um, You can kind of see what we're talking about. So I'm going to use two examples. One is on Otis. They have that 1981 Topps Joe Montana rookie card we've talked about that's graded a 10 by PSA. And by the way, full disclosure, I am an owner of that. I do own that card on that platform. And uh, actually, I think I bought more shares of that today because it's actually um, at a fairly... I think the value on that platform is 60 some odd thousand. The last sale was, I think, over 100,000. So I think there's an opportunity there. But the bid ask spread is the bid is $20, which is the, the lowest the, or the highest price at which someone has put in an order to buy. The ask, 
which is the lowest price at which someone has put it in order to sell, is at $21.97. So almost a $2 spread between the bid and the ask. That's huge. That's 10%, call it nine, you know, but almost 10% between the bid and the ask. And then when you look at the depth of the market, meaning go look at what the next bid and ask is, because at each of those, you know, at the bid, there might be someone offering to buy five shares at 20 bucks. Well, what's the next bid? Maybe you wanted to sell 10 shares. So what would be the next bid in order to be able to sell 10 shares? Well, the next bid is at $19.50. So 50 cents below that $20 bid. And then you could do the same thing. What's the next ask? Maybe someone is only you know willing to sell three shares at $21.97. And so if you want to buy more than three, you've got to go a little bit higher if you want to just go ahead and hit it at the market. Well, the next ask is $23. So the second level bid and ask be, um, you know, behind that first level is a 1950 to 23, which is more than 15% wide. So if you're trying to purchase or sell a sizable amount, you know, you're going to, if you do it at the market, meaning available bids and, and, and uh, asks, you're going to move that market. It's going to be volatile. You're going to move the price significantly. So for that reason, strongly recommend any listeners to use what's called limit orders do not use a market order um, but also know that if you use a limit order your order may not get fulfilled or may not get executed which is perfectly fine but what a limit order is is it just means you set the price that you're willing to pay so you say okay i'll, I'll buy 10 shares at a max of $21.50, let's say in that example. Well, it may not get filled because $21.97 is the, is the lowest price someone's willing to sell at. But you throw that out there, sellers see it. Maybe a seller says, yeah, I'll take that. And they, they hit your order and it gets filled. But at least you know in that instance, maybe you don't get filled. But what you do know is you won't pay more than $21.50. Whereas if you just put an order in to buy 10 shares, 10 shares at the market, Let's say there's five shares available at that $21.97. Well, you're going to buy five at $21.97. If the next five are available at $23, you're going to buy those next five at $23. Maybe you wouldn't want to pay $23. So know that. Don't put a market order in. Put a limit order in so that you you have you know exactly the price that you're willing to pay, and that's the price that the, the order will fill at, or at least that's the highest price. It could fill less than that, but it's not going to fill at anything more than that. I'll give you one more quick example and then we'll move on. And that's on the collectible platform. There's the 1984 Topps John Elway rookie card. That's actually one that I am trying to buy into right now. I'd like to own some of that. I've got an order out there to buy some shares in that. I do not own any right now. But I'm bringing that one up because I've got that firsthand experience with I've looked at the order book on it. It's a pair. There's a pair of PSA 10 cards in this lot that make up one lot. The bid ask spread right now is $7.65, which by the way is my bid. Um, and the ask is $8.33. So that's better than an 8% difference between those two. But then after that, it widens out. So the next bid under $7.65 is at $7.40. The next ask above 833 is at 875 so that's almost 15 percent wide at that next level so again just be mindful of that because until these platforms can increase the liquidity and the depth of the market you're bound to experience some wide uh, swings in prices and some high volatility and a small amount of money can potentially move the market in a big way and while that would normally provide opportunity if you have the liquidity, you may not be able to capitalize on that without the liquidity. Because like I said, if let's say on that John Elway, the last trade was at $7.65. Well, great. But I can't go in there and buy it right now at $70.65. There are no shares being offered for sale at that price. So I can put a bid to buy and I could put a limit order at $7.65 and then leave it out there and hope someone hits that. But they may not. 
So just be aware that's kind of how that works. And so some of those outlier prices that you see, if you can capitalize on the opportunity, great. You may not be able to. And that's just the way those platforms work until they can, like I said, grow the number of people that are on them and increase the trading liquidity. All right, let's move on. All right, so uh, the zero cool cards in boxes with Gary V's V friends continue to do well in the secondary market as several boxes have sold for over 10,000 and individual cards are also selling for thousands of dollars. Yeah, but there is some controversy or scuttlebutt, that word that we like to use here, because there, there's evidence mounting that many of the sales of these have been shilled. Remember, we've talked about shill bidding when someone's trying to just bid up the price of something, but they don't have intention to actually buy it. They're just, you know, and so we don't know. We don't know for sure. There's kind of some debate other whether some of these things have been shilled or not. But I will say the evidence is building that it is looking like at least some, if not a fair amount, number of these have started to be shilled. So just, you know, we'll see. Be cautious on some of the pricing that you're seeing on those. The Panini Flawless Case Break Chase for LeBron Triple Logo Man card continues as Leighton Sports Cards posted a 25 case break for the low price of $40,000 per spot. Yeah, so I only bought two spots in that one. No, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did not buy any spots in that one. I would love to buy one, but not for $40,000 a spot. Um, that's being done in collaboration with, uh, is it Blaze Sports Cards, I believe is how you pronounce that. And they're doing it live from Las Vegas. Actually, right now, I literally have my phone. I have it on. It's on YouTube. They're broadcasting it. Um, everyone in the hobby is gathering in Vegas this weekend for the Mint Collective. Some of them probably got there today, Thursday. And so, yeah, those two um, companies or breakers are literally broadcasting right now live. And so we'll see if they end up pulled. So far, I don't. they haven't pulled it. So we'll see what happens. Okay, let's move on and cover some of the auction results because there were a number of records set for a lot of high-end cards. Yeah, so PWCC completed their monthly premiere auction and then also had some record results in their last weekly auction, which ended Sunday. The first one that we'll touch on is a 1986 top Steve Young card in PSA 10, which sold for a record amount of $120,000. That's reportedly the highest amount paid for any Steve Young card. Yeah, and that's his rookie card in an NFL uniform, but remember we actually talked about this because we just submitted that in our PSA order. There's a 1984 Topps USFL card when he played in the USFL for a couple of years. That's a highly sought-after card by collectors. There's also a 1985 USFL card, maybe not quite as popular in demand as the 84, but still popular in its own right. A Moses Malone rookie card graded a 10 by PSA set a record in the PWCC weekly auction when it sold for $102,000. Yeah, see, so here you go. This is why I include Moses Malone with the number 22 because mm-hmm. his rookie card set that record. And it was also reportedly the highest sale for any Moses Malone card. And that card, by the way, is in the 1975 Topps basketball set. And then a 1998 Fleer Michael Jordan Playmakers Theater card it was graded a 10 by PSA, serial numbered to 100. That sold for a record $216,000 in the PWCC auction. There were actually several other cards of other players. We won't cover them all, but cards for players like Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Mike Trout, Cristiano Ronaldo, just to name a few. They all had cards that set records for the highest sales ever in the PWCC March Premier Auction. All right, well, I think that does it for the halftime report, so let's move on to film study. Okay, well, we want to do some NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, 
Where should we go first? Let's start. We said we were going to start with hockey, so let's start with hockey. Start with some hockey. Okay. So probably the big news we should start, obviously playoffs are coming up, so we could kind of talk a little bit about what the playoff picture looks like. But maybe before we do that, the other big news was the trade deadline has come and gone now in hockey. And there were, you know, there weren't a ton of moves or big moves made, but there were a few. Um, so we'll touch on a couple if, if uh, for those if you haven't been keeping up with it. Uh, Minnesota picked up the goaltender Mark andre Fleury from the Blackhawks. Uh, Colorado uh, picked up, which is, I think, a big, a nice pickup for Colorado, to be perfectly honest. They got Arturi, I should say, Lekkonen from Montreal. And then probably the big trade was Florida. Um, Florida got, I'm going to say Claude, you say Claude, Cloud, however you want to pronounce that first name, but Giroux, um, who's a star from uh, Philadelphia, and so he's now with Florida. And Florida, that was a big pickup for them, and they, by the way, are in first place in the standings right now um, in the Eastern Conference with uh, Toronto at second, Tampa Bay in third, and or at least that's in the Atlantic Division. Then, then you've also got in the Metropolitan, you've got Carolina, Pittsburgh, and the Rangers, so anyway, so those were, you know, there were some other moves that were made, but I don't think any that were necessarily all that significant. Those were probably some of the bigger names uh, that changed teams um, uh, ahead of the trade deadline. You know, Nashville got somewhat, I saw, I forget who it was, Some one reporter noted that they thought Nashville was a loser in the for, you know, not making any major moves, particularly with For, uh, Forsberg, uh, because his... Um, he'll be a free agent after this year but I don't know I don't I don't think I would I, I don't know I just if I'm Nashville I don't know that I want to trade away Philip Forsberg right now ahead of the playoffs now I mean is that we'll what see. they mean or are they talking about bringing help for him no I think they were talking about trading him away because hmm. they were thinking like hey you're not going to get anything you know now you may not I mean, get anything could, for him they could re-sign him next season <laughs> yeah he I could mean, stay I mean hey it's not like Nashville's out of the playoff hunt here. I mean, they're 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 probably, I guess, maybe they're on the bubble a little bit. They right now in the Western Conference, I think, are in seventh spot. The top eight get in, so you know maybe they're on the bubble a little bit, but still, I got to think that they're thinking maybe they can. I don't know. The talk about was them trying to trade him and get something for him because the th- thought was that they might lose him in the offseason when he becomes a free agent you get nothing in return hmm. well but he's had a fantastic season i just i don't know i understand that logic but i also think i know there's nothing saying he's guaranteed to leave nashville either. exactly that's what i'm saying like so a couple other quick things so ovechkin alexander ovechkin moves up the goal scored list he passed yarimer yager one of our favorites for third place all time and now we'll be going after Gretzky's all-time record of 894 goals. He's going to have to catch Gordie Howe first because Gordie Howe's in second place all-time with 801 goals. And then you've got Gretzky next with 894. Ovechkin, I forget the number he was at. It was like 700 and I should know exactly 27, I think, goals or something like that was where he was at third place. The funny thing here was, I don't know if you saw, but um, Jeremy Yager actually posted on social media and he kind of joked around about how he hasn't actually retired yet, so maybe he'll come back to the NHL and chase Ovechkin. Well, that's true. Um, Isn't he that playing back. like somewhere else? Yeah, now? he is. Yeah. yeah, I think he started his own league and um, hmm. and is playing. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. Some of the players from a so from a sports card standpoint, 
I, you know, obviously collect who you like, favorite players, teams, and so forth. But if you're kind of looking for maybe who some of the the hot players and or prospects might be, rookies um, as well as some vets, I, some of the the ones that I might look for would be someone like um, Leon Saddle. His rookie card is in the 2013-2014 set. Obviously, Connor McDavid, his stuff is pretty spendy, but um, he's in that 20, his rookie's in that 2015-2016 year sets. Austin Matthews, he's 2016-2017. One of the younger stars, um, Kirill Kaprizov, and we've talked about him before, 2021. And, of course, Ovechkin is 2005-06. He's in the same year as Sidney Crosby and our beloved Pecorine. Um, by the way, Johnny Gaudreau, uh, 2014, 2015 is his rookie. Uh, Nathan McKinnon with Colorado, 2013, 2014 is his uh, rookie year. And I, by the way, I still think that that uh, Colorado pickup of, of Lekkonen is is kind of an in, be an interesting one for them. Where is where is Colorado on the standings right now? Are they so Colorado's up top? They're they're first on in the West, so that's a strong pickup for them. Another one I like, Kale. Uh, McCarr is in the 2019-2020 uh, uh, class. Of course, we already talked about cars. And then, you know, a local 615 homeboy with the Nashville Predators, Matt Duchesne. He's in that 2009-2010 year as his rookie card. And then some of the rookies. Um, so these will be in the 2021-2022 sets that are coming out now from Upper Deck. And so you can look for guys like Lucas Raymond, who we've talked about before. That'll be a um, highly sought-after rookie card. Uh, Trevor Zegres, who we've talked about before, will also be another one. Another hometown kid, Tanner Janot, with the Nashville Predators. You also have someone like Michael Bunting um, is is an interesting one as well. And the ones to look for, the cards, by the way, in the upper deck uh, flagship product, for the, especially for the rookies or the young guns. Now, if you those aren't, you know, you can also go after, try to find some of the autographs and Anyway, but the but from a rookie card standpoint, it's the upper deck young guns that tend to be the uh, more sought after and more valuable rookie cards. All right, what else we got on hockey? Anything? I mean, not unless you have more. No. Look, I'm not. I'm out of my element here. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on and talk about some. We, let's do let's do basketball last. Let's do NFL and base or football and baseball next because really what we want to just touch on there was some of the signings, some of the moves that have happened in the off season for the NFL and in the preseason for baseball. So a couple of moves that I thought were interesting. Uh, one was Boston Red Sox picked up Trevor Story. And so all of a sudden kind of feels like out of nowhere, Boston's looking strong now because they've got, um, in addition to Trevor Story, they now also have, and if you think about their infield, uh, Bobby Dalbeck at first, you've got Raphael Devers, um, you've got Xander Bogarts, it's kind of an interesting because Trevor Story typically played shortstop. He was with the Rockies for a while. And um, where was he last year? I'm trying to remember where Trevor Story was last year. Was he still with the Rockies? I feel like he got traded from the Rockies, but I may be wrong about that. Anyway, Bogarts is the shortstop with the Red Sox. So I'm guessing they move Story to second, maybe, because they've got Devers, I think, at third. Obviously, Dalbach at first, so maybe they put Story at second. But nonetheless... And Trevor Story is a power. He's he, he's a power hitter, but also has speed on the base paths. So interesting pickup. And like I said, all of a sudden the Red Sox looking like they've got a pretty strong lineup. Hey, one other note on baseball, by the way, I would say is 
feel like we're giving a lot of cautionary tales here to, on today's show, but be careful of the flip game. You know, a lot of people go after the prospects, like the Bowman's first, guys that haven't even hit the majors yet. And the prices on a lot of those cards get to be very expensive, $500,000 or more. But be really careful with that because a lot of those prospects, in fact, I would go so far as to say 90 to 95% of them are not going to pan out to anything. And if you go back... <laughs> and you look historically at who all the top prospects were and then where they're at today and what their card values are, most of them you're going to find sort of didn't make it and their card value, the cards are not worth a whole lot. Yes, there are some, and there's always those exceptions, and there are a few that will come out of that. But a lot of times the, the hype is now when there are prospects in the minors and their card values get really expensive – but then over time, if it starts looking like they're not going to pan out as originally thought, if you ended up buying those cards for $500,000 or more, you're going to end up losing your shirt. And so just be careful with that. One strategy I use is I just like to, if I'm trying to do something from an investment perspective, from a financial perspective, uh, I just like to collect players or teams that I like anyway so that if the financial aspect of that doesn't work out I'm perfectly comfortable holding that and having that in my personal collection and not feeling like I need to sell it off or do something with it I know that strategy isn't necessarily for everybody because some people want to get into the investment aspect of it and, and try to pursue those financial gains but that's kind of the way I look at it all right let's go to the NFL some big trades or signings yeah there. I saw some of these, not all of these, though. Yeah, so Matt I did Ryan, not see the Chiefs one. That's I did not see that until you handed me these. And, of course, you're talking about Tyree Kill. Yeah. Yeah, so... Where did he go? As a Broncos fan, I was thrilled that Tyree Kill is no longer a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, although he stayed in the AFC, went to Miami Dolphins. Ah. And apparently the Jets... Why did they Why did they trade Tyreek? That's a... Well, who'd they get? Well, they, they basically got draft picks. They didn't get that's they got like five draft picks or hmm. something four or five draft picks it was a um but they had it here's the interesting thing too so they had a deal with the jets and with the dolphins the chiefs did apparently and the they basically went to tyreek and said okay we've got a deal with both teams you you pick which one you want to go to and so he went to the dolphins so it's a good choice yeah it's a good choice yeah but so the interesting thing here is that, and by the way, I think Tyreek's rookie card is in the uh, 2016 sets. I am looking at his Panini Prism right now. You know, to be honest, again, this is one of those ones where just there's not really much of a trend. It hasn't really moved, quite honestly, one way or another from that transaction. I will say, though, that Tua cards, I believe, did. Let me pull up uh, Tua because... Obviously, he's the quarterback for the uh, Miami Dolphins, and he should benefit from having Tyree kill. And I'm looking, well, okay, they did spike in terms of, but here's an example where we need a few more transactions before we can call that a trend. But certainly there is a big a spike at the far right hand of this three-month chart, but it's still not necessarily hitting highs from you know some of the high prices that it's sold at over the past three or four months but it is you know the last few trades are up quite a bit from 
the trades before that. So we'll see whether that turns into a trend. But yeah, that was a big move. Uh, Deshaun Watson, we talked about him not getting charged last time, but he got picked up by the Browns. Hmm. So now it looks like Baker Mayfield must be on the block. Mm -hmm. Although the interesting thing about Deshaun Watson is the second grand jury apparently came back and said he could still face criminal charges. A second grand jury from another county that's apparently now going to be making a decision on whether he'll face any charges. So Hmm. the other big one was Matt Ryan left Atlanta. He's now got picked up by the Indianapolis Colts. I actually think that's a good, good move by the Colts. Trade, yeah. I think the Colts have a good team. Uh, you got Jonathan Taylor as that stud running back. Had a fantastic rookie season. They've got a good defense, a good offensive line. So that's an interesting one. And then our boy, from Oregon anyway, Marcus Mariota, and was a Tennessee Titan, although I think Tennessee ruined him. But yeah, <laughs> But he got picked up now by Atlanta. So he is now looking like he's going to be the starting quarterback in Atlanta. So I'm kind of excited about that. I'd like to see um, Mario to play and see what he can do. His rookie card, by the way, for those listening, is in the 2015 um, sets. Not a lot of trade volume, so can't necessarily talk about whether there's any trends there. But um, the the last trades that have occurred on his stuff have all generally been quite a bit higher in fact here's an example if you look at card ladder so prior to that because remember he was a backup for the raiders and so it wasn't you know i think people had kind of given up on him so his cards were trading for like 40 50 bucks and the last trade on his panini prism base not the silver but the base was 225 dollars. but again only one trade so but still a big jump from the 50 bucks or 40 bucks that it had traded at before um so it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Marcus Mariota, but happy to see yeah. that maybe he'll be a starting quarterback with Atlanta. That's good. Yeah, I yeah. think hopefully they let him, you know, can't say, like it's like Russell Wilson with Denver, let him let Russ cook, hopefully let Marcus cook. Let him do his thing. Let him run. Let him move around. Don't try to keep him in the pocket. I think that's when he could be. Well, that's what, I mean, you're starting to see that more in the NFL now with quarterbacks who can actually you know do that effectively you're starting to see that shift i yeah. think so hopefully the coaching staff in atlanta will let that happen. yeah because remember in tennessee they they kept trying to prevent him from running and trying to keep him in the pocket and well, I that think, was a thing i think that like like kind of is like kind of like old school i guess you could say football where like they like say like you got to do it this way and now they're starting to say like Okay, we're gonna build our team around what the quarterback skills are. We're not gonna say quarterback, you got to do this. Yeah, because you got guys coming in like Lamar Jackson who can, you know, they're like basically like little running backs out there exactly. who could also throw, um, and you you build around that. And like Russell Wilson is another example too. Yeah. So, Kyler Murray. I think that shift is will probably help him. Jalen Hurts, they'll, Kyler they'll Murray. I mean, there's that. a yeah, there's a bunch of guys now quarterbacks in the NFL that kind of fit that bill. I mean, even someone like a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they're not really known for the running. That's not what they do, but they can move around. They can be mobile when they need to be mm-hmm. in the pocket. So anyway, those are, yeah, some of the big interesting moves there. I did see, it's funny, we talked about this before, but every time one of these transactions happened, you saw right away on eBay or my slabs or any of the marketplaces, these cards selling instantly, you know, kind of the instant impact. And 
it's funny because a couple of times I was on my slabs looking at some things. All of a sudden, I saw a bunch of cards selling. I was like, oh, something must have just happened. Go look at the news. Sure enough, there was a trade announced or whatever the case may be. So anyway, we'll see. I do have, I will say this too about Matt Ryan. Now, it, I don't know if Indy's going to be in position to compete for a Super Bowl there given everything in the AFC. I mean, you got Kansas City. Now you've got Russell Wilson with the Broncos. You've got San, you know, Herbert with, with San Diego. Oakland's looking strong. You've got uh, the Bills, obviously, the Patriots. You've got Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, Tennessee, the Titans. Uh, who, oh, the Browns now, depending what happens with Deshaun Watson. I mean, AFC's kind of stacked, so I don't know if Ryan necessarily gets a, a Super Bowl with Indianapolis Colts. But I would say this. I have a theory with Matt Ryan, with Atlanta, athletes in Atlanta, but I'll, I'll wait on that. We'll talk about that when we talk about basketball because we're going to talk about Trey Young, I think, too. Right. You want to well, go basketball Were there now? any other NFL signings? Nothing yet that was – I think those were the big notable ones. All right. You want to go basketball? Then, yeah, we can go ahead and move on. All right. You talk. I feel like I've been doing all the talking. You take basketball. Well, where did you want to go here first because we have, like, several things we can talk about here. Well, I'll get you started, because I know this will get you riled up. What's going on with your Miami Heat? Did they uh, are they melting down right now? Are they gonna? Yeah, I mean you can start with that. Everybody seems to be talking about that. Um, I guess for people who aren't really following it that closely, uh, the Heat had two pretty bad losses to Philadelphia without Embiid or James Harden, and then last night, this will be Wednesday, they lost to Golden State without. Curry, Clay, or Draymond. So, like, those are two pretty bad losses. Like, those are easy wins uh, for a team like Miami. And they lost both of them. And after the start, after yesterday, after the start, it was tied at halftime, the Golden State Heat game. And then Golden State opened up the third quarter on a 19-0 run. Miami calls timeout. And Jimmy and Udonis were going at each other in the huddle. I saw that, uh, but Co- what Co- were they Coach, arguing Coach about? Coach Spo got in on it a little bit. Um, I've literally never seen Spo that mad before. He like threw he threw his clipboard to the ground. They like brought it out on the court. Like it extended past the timeout. The refs were telling him to get back on the court, and they were like fighting on the court. What Not, was like, it fighting, about? Just, like, what was the context of it? Because I saw all that, but I never really understood what they were. You know, I'm not. I'm be honest. I don't know. I think Jimmy was just talk. I think it was just a lot of frustration. Just among like everybody over just not playing very well hmm. and i know that i actually just saw a video like an hour ago where people actually figured out what they were saying in in the huddle i'm not gonna say it obviously because it's not appropriate for this but yeah, um, we're a clean show um but like i mean it was just basically like i mean it's just kind of emotions running high there really wasn't anything in particular that like like specific you can point to besides just they're playing terrible and like Jimmy was starting to go at Udonis a little bit Udonis was biting back because he don't take no disrespect like that and I think Spo, Spo was just trying to break it up a little bit and then Jimmy started kind of like going at Spo a little bit and then Spo got pissed off and I think he was probably also mad a little bit that him and Udonis were fighting of all people because Jimmy's supposed to be a leader and Udonis is also kind of like basically an assistant coach and is like you know he like is the Miami Heat basically mm-hmm. um so I mean that's basically what happened but after that they won like a 19-6 run they still lost the game which is not good but 
honestly, I think that kind of thing is like kind of necessary. Like that's not really gonna break them up at all. I don't see that. I don't think any of them see that. If you know Miami, that's kind of, I mean, that is kind of the culture. That's full of a. That team is full of a bunch of very competitive, very passionate people who are very intense. Um, and Spo even said after the game, like that's kind of just like how they talk a lot of the time like not like obviously to that extent but like like it's tough love in Miami like and no one's like afraid to be the jerk and that can kind of happen yeah and I think people kind of forget that like it's the NBA yelling is a thing in the NBA like that's happens on every team like maybe not to that extent like on the court but like behind closed doors absolutely that happens like so you want to see that passion and that competitive spirit when your team's not playing well exactly to be honest and like I think like um Jim Boylan said this he said like Miami's definitely a blue collar team and I think sitting on top the east maybe they've kind of lost that a little bit especially with how some of their offense runs now they got a little more threes they got a little more scoring um you know they have a little bit more leeway now i think maybe they're just getting a little bit complacent and so hopefully they'll be able to fix that up better that it happens now than like two weeks from now right yeah so i honestly think that's a good thing for miami that should hopefully you know push them forward going into the end of the season well it's but a tight race because yeah but got- what that does do those two losses puts miami that kind of kills Miami's lead in the East. So now they're only a game and a half ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And so you, now it's way tighter. Well, and Philly, well, Philly maybe not as much so, but certainly Milwaukee and Boston are very hot right now. I'm surprised. Yeah, Boston's been super hot. I'm surprised to see they could literally finish first in the East. And if you think about how they started the season, that is just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like they literally are, they're one win behind Miami right now, which is nuts. Yeah. Honestly, the the Good issue living. here is is everyone's trying to stay out of the number two spot to be honest if you don't get the one spot you'd rather i think be in the three or four spot because it's looking more and more like whoever's going to be in up that two spot might end up having to face brooklyn i'm honestly not sure brooklyn could really if you look at those if you look at the um you know records of the six through six through eight brooklyn could actually really get six they really could get six. Yeah. Like, there's enough games left in the season. They're only they, about four, maybe three and a half games out of six. Exactly. So. And, like, the, the the teams that are above them are Toronto and Cleveland, and Cleveland's got injuries. I mean, Toronto's pretty good, but, like, they're not that far behind them. Well, New York just um, cleared the path for Irving to play. Yeah, that's another big they thing. exempted that's... athletes from the vaccine mandate, so now Kyrie Irving will be playing home games. That's even scary for the playoffs because, like, if you were one of those top few teams, like, you're not super worried about playing Brooklyn because you don't have to play Kyrie every game. But now you do have to play Kyrie every game. So that's even – that's that that is scary for, for the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, good Lord, man. And I'm kind of curious. And, Kyrie – now that we're talking about Kyrie – I'm kind of curious. I gotta wonder what he's been averaging over the past like five games, because oh, it yeah. seems like literally every time he plays, he's like, he's like thinking, oh, I gotta make up for the games I'm not playing or something, and he like goes out and basically gets two games worth of points every time for like the past five games. Like he got 43 last night. He had that 60 piece against Orlando. The game before that was 53. I think he had 40 something before that. I'm not sure how much further back that goes, but like. I I mean, for the games he has played, he's he's got to be averaging like forty. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to look up his cards. His rookie year is his. Uh, is it 2012? Was he the same year as uh, Jimmy Butler? I'm 
Maybe. I'm not really sure. I think... No, I feel like that's too recent. He's. I feel like he's, he's older than that. That's probably just 30. the first... He just turned 30, so that sounds like yeah, that might be right. Because that would put that about 10 years ago. Has he been in the NBA for 10 years? I mean, that would put him in at 20 years old. That seems to make sense. It does say twenty. It does say twenty twelve. It certainly, obviously, is would be his first Panini because that was the first um, year that Panini did the Prism basketball. Yeah, so it is. It is twenty twelve. His rookie cards, and I'm just looking on uh, Card Ladder to see, you know, the pricing on his stuff has not necessarily like so the the PSA ten of that Panini Prism. Uh, it's pop count of eight hundred and sixty one in a PSA ten, so not crazy high, but also not crazy low. Uh, but the base. Uh, is selling for around $400, give or take, and not necessarily a discernible trend. Maybe over the last couple of months, a little bit of a trend higher from 300, kind of working its way with a little bit of up and down up towards that 400 level. Traded as high as 500 um, a couple sales ago. If you look at the last, say, five or six sales, there were a couple that were as high as 500, but it looks like it's kind of settled in around that $400 range. So, I mean, I'm gonna say, man, I mean, he's like in his prime right now, and it's 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 coming at a weird time for him because he's you know hasn't played a whole lot. Um, but I mean, I'll say this, man. Whatever you think about Kyrie, whatever like preconceived notions, however you feel about him as a person, you cannot deny like how incredible he is right now. Yeah, and like how fun he is to watch right now. Like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, like. And people forget last season, I think for some reason it was overshadowed. He was he got he was a 50-40-90 guy on 25 points a game, which is like he was like that's like not a lot of people have done that ever. Like very very few. And it's like that's the best season of his career. I think he's having an even better season this season even though he's barely played. If he has been playing, I mean, think about it. Like so for that to be like only $400, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Cuz I mean, he has a chance. He's 30. I mean, he's in his prime right now like probably play the entire season next season and you know to come i mean he has a shot to be really 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 incredible i mean he already is but like i mean just geez man yeah well and he can be a little sometimes i guess there's people in the hobby that feel he's a little polarizing i guess in the sense that i don't i haven't followed all his stuff so i don't know closely but i just know people in the hobby kind of some people either love him or hate him and so that probably has a little bit of an impact on some of his card values, I suppose. But um, but no, I agree with you. I mean, as far as the the, the what he does on the court, I mean, it's yeah. It's, I just I just love that like like he has all this other stuff. Obviously, he has like all these people and like all the media saying whatever about him. And you know, he's like sitting out all these games, and obviously, that's not he doesn't want that. But you know, he's gonna make that decision. But um. Like, he has all this stuff going on, but he still shows up, and he's just going to show up, and he's going to play his game. He's going to go out there and hoop, and he's going to give you 40. He's going to stay ready. Like, he's always he's always going to be Kyrie, like, no matter, like, what, you know, outside noise he's dealing with, like, constantly, because he's always kind of dealing with that. Yeah. So, well, got to respect that. And now I'm looking at the West, and obviously Phoenix has run away with it, but it's interesting, Memphis right now, looking like they're going to, potentially be in that number two spot with Golden State possibly being number three but then down at the bottom still got Lakers trying for that play-in game but then you also have it's great now so this to me is something I want to touch on because we talked I think last time or the time before about the new 
it's relatively new, right? Mm-hmm. Playoff um, framework. Mm-hmm. This to me is maybe the downside of it. So I do love the fact that it's getting more teams involved. It, you know, sort of more maybe competitive uh, nature of it as you get down to towards the end of the season, having more teams potentially involved. But you have teams like the Lakers who have a record of 31 and 42 and New Orleans, New Orleans, they say has a record of 30 and 42. Those could be both in the play in with 12 games well, under probably, 500. They probably will be in the plan. <laughs> but they have to win two I mean, games to get into the playoffs in that position. And and that is something that people talked about last season especially is like you don't want to be like, you know, work hard and get seven and then get knocked out in that one-game scenario where, you know, you could easily lose two games just off of whatever even though maybe – Yeah, I mean, you know, what if LeBron just it, puts but, it on his shoulder and scores 60 and, you know, gets past the Clippers or Minnesota mm-hmm. – and that was something I was complaining about last season, but I mean, honestly, I mean, number one, finish top six. <laughs> First of all, that's should be the goal anyway. Um, second of all, I mean, yeah, you do get that, but at the same time, like, I mean, if you're seven eight, you get two chances. If you're eight uh, nine ten, you have to win twice. Yeah, and you can only lose once. So, like, if you are seven eight, you're still at an advantage. But I just think overall, for people watching especially, like if you think about how much like interest was generated in that last season, just in terms of like people watching, people being interested in it, I mean, it was it was huge. And that's big for the NBA. And I honestly think, I think probably the most interesting thing is people don't want to be in that 7-8 spot anymore because they don't want to risk being knocked out by bad teams. And so you get this even tighter race in the playoffs where everybody's trying to get into the top six and trying to stay out of the play. And I think that's the most interesting part about it. So, I mean, not the people at the bottom, but the people that are like right on five, six that are trying to just make the playoffs without having to play into it. Yeah. Cause I mean, you look at the West, I mean, there's like that, that five, six line, like Denver and Minnesota basically have the same record. Like either of those two teams could be in or out of it. Yeah. And based on that, like, that could be the difference between in and out of the playoffs, and that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so then the other thing on the on the Eastern Conference side, the, those 9-10, you know, Charlotte. So you got, like we talked about Toronto and Brooklyn. They're right now in the 7-8 spot. Charlotte and Atlanta round out 9-10. and 10, And looking like that's those are going to be your top 10 teams because after Atlanta – You've got New York, and they're, Atlanta's five games up on, on them. Charlotte's six games up on them. So, uh, But we saw what Trey Young did in New York, went off on on the Knicks. Yeah, the scoring train continues, man. So so this I know I know you're, you're I know you're not high on Atlanta and I get it. Maybe they're not gonna make a deep run in the playoffs. But I still there's part of me that just thinks that Trey Young is one of those players that just when it gets when when the, when it counts, right? When it gets down to like, remember last year in the playoffs, he just does. And that game in New York was a similar thing. He just sort of puts the team on his back. And so you, it, I will say, Atlanta is potentially one of those scary teams. If you're going to face him in the play-in one game, Trey Young could easily take over. Oh, that for game. sure. In one game in the play-in, Trey Young is dangerous. Yeah. But in a seven-game series, I'm not putting my bets on Atlanta this yeah. season. No, I hear you. Because, like, agree. the thing is, and, like, the, the weird thing is between this season and last season is that, like, their roster didn't really change that much, but their defense just got so much worse. And I think that's a lot of effort because they don't have any great individual defenders, but the thing that you noticed about them in the playoffs last season is they actually had really good defense in the playoffs last season. 
because they're playing really good team defense. And, like, they've got, like, eight mediums, like, two bigs and, like, two smalls. So, like, their roster comp, like, makes no sense. But, like, the, for, whatever, for whatever reason this season, the team defense just, like, stops. And they don't have, like, great individual defenders. So, if you're not playing great team defense, their defense is just literally, like, last place in the NBA. Yeah. And that's not going to – you cannot win a playoff series like that. And so, that's, like, to me, like, I'm like, well, can they turn that on again? Because they literally have, like, basically the same roster. Because, yeah. like, if they do, they're pretty good. But, you know, they haven't so far, so. Yep. All right. Well, and so my theory on Atlanta, here's my theory. Now, maybe Trey Young's the exception here because some of his cards are pretty hot. But I feel like there's a lot of professional athletes from Atlanta teams, Braves, Falcons, Hawks, that maybe don't get the hobby love that you might expect you know we've talked in the past like freddie freeman's a guy who you would think that his cards would potentially command a little higher value than they do but then you've got some other brave you know pretty big name braves like tom glavin or smoltz or uh, chipper jones dale murphy from way back in the day all of those are highly sought after to some degree by collectors and have some value but maybe not as high a value relative to you know other players Dominique Wilkins is another one on the basketball side you know I love Dominique but and his stuff is you know it's not cheap when you look at some of his rookie but but it's also doesn't necessarily command some of the values that some other guys do Matt Ryan's another one I mean Matt Ryan's gonna be Hall of Fame you know Super Bowl he's probably top 10 quarterback statistically anyways I think he's had an MVP could be wrong about that but um now you've got some exceptions because obviously you got Acuna Jr. for the Braves now pretty pretty out Trey Young for the Hawks it's a little different but historically some of those big names from Atlanta seems to not have had I don't know I don't know why that would be but it's interesting I don't Um, know that's yeah it is interesting I'll have to maybe put some numbers behind that because that's right now that's just sort of speculate that's sort of subjectively thinking about it as I'm thinking about kind of knowing off the top of my head what the values of a lot of those guys' cards are, rookie cards in PSA 10s, um, in comparison to other players with similar or even having less stature in their respective sports. I feel like a lot of those Atlanta athletes are not valued as highly. But Could be. Anyway, maybe I'll put some numbers together on that, report on that at some point. All right. Where else do we want to go? March Madness? Yeah, we can go ahead and do that. Well, my bracket's busted. Did I tell everyone I had Baylor last time? Yeah, we talked about <laughs> that it was last stupid. Time. I don't know. I kind of knew. Stupid, but well, I mean, they just had, they're injured. I know yeah. that was the thing, but I you knew you gambled that, on him coming back, and he didn't come back in time. I know. Yeah, and they had North Carolina's hot. So now the games are going on right now. We don't have them on. I should have turned them on Gonzaga in the room so we could lost. see Gonzaga lost. Saw that, so that was disappointing to see. I was rooting for them. Two one seeds out. Um, Arizona Houston is Arizona Houston is going to be a good I matchup. Honestly, like Houston, I would see. I think Arizona is strong. I'd pick Arizona in this matchup, but I would not. I would be scared of Houston in this matchup. Houston, Definitely, Houston is an underseeded team. Yeah, I think. Well, they're five, I think, though. Yeah, that's what but, I'm saying. They are underseeded. Well, that's yeah. They sh- they're not they a five. A, if they're a five yeah. seed, they're not a five seed. They yeah. should be higher. They could be a, like, maybe a three. Mm-hmm. I suppose they are a lot more dangerous than that. Texas Tech Duke's going to be another good one, I think. 
North Carolina is honestly looking strong, not just because they beat Baylor, but just generally they're they're pretty hot right now. I don't know. But, yeah, now that Baylor's out of it, honestly, I would probably lean to Arizona. I think Arizona's the the team to beat. Yeah, now that Baylor and Auburn is, are out of it. Well, and the Zags, I guess, too. I didn't even think about I that. Because I would have thought – I would have – had I made a bracket, I probably would have had Auburn going to the Final Four. You know, a lot of people had that this year. Why, well, why was everybody so high on Auburn? Because they were ranked number one in the nation, like, the entire season. Auburn was? Mm-hmm. Did until, I, until they lost the SEC a, tournament. Was I asleep? Did I, <laughs> they literally have been ranked number one for so long, and then – in the like the last like week of the season, they went to second because they lost the SEC. Like they lost like one of the f- first two rounds of the SEC tournament or something. I don't. Is that right? Are you sure about yeah, that? Yeah, they were ranked. They ranked second. They finished second. I know because because I follow because I follow Charles Barkley, and he's like you know he went to Auburn. He's obsessed with Auburn. And he was super mad that they got moved to two just because they lost that, and Gonzaga was one. Oh, that's because I was going to ask. I was, what was there? Because they weren't even a number one seed. They were two, and that was kind of surprising. But yeah, there were two, and well, I guess not so surprising because they lost. Yeah, and honestly, I honestly really haven't even watched an Auburn game this season. I've just heard that they've been really good, so I was like, I'm, I haven't really watched a bunch of games this season really at all, so I can't really tell if anybody's good. So I was like, that's as good a bet as any. Watching the game, though, I mean, apparently. They've had an issue all season with, like, shot selection and stuff. And had I known that, probably would not have taken them all the way. But I didn't make a bracket anyway, so it's fine. Don't they have um, – they do because I just looked it up because I thought that was the case. Bruce Pearl is their mm-hmm. head coach who was used to be the head coach at uh, Tennessee for a while. So mm-hmm. interesting. Well, I think Arizona right now, honestly, although North Carolina is looking pretty hot too, even though North Carolina is only an eight seed. You talk about a team that might be – what do you say? Overseeded, underseeded. Underseeded. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. North Carolina was an eight seed. Mm-hmm. Or a nine. Were they nine? They were eight. Were they eight? They were eight, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk women's March Madness because you went to the game. There was a great game. Your school, Belmont, got past Oregon, my school. I didn't go to that game. You didn't go to that game. But that was a good game. Although I will say, I have to say, maybe this is going to be sour grapes on my part. I feel like the refs didn't give. They should have. Hey, Belmont I'm, was hacking Oregon. I'm not going to disagree with you here, but I, because the Belmont Tennessee game was the first game was the first basketball game ever, really, like literally ever. And like any basketball game I've watched, where I've actually been like upset about the lack of calls for like my team because like normally i like watch it and the refs will call whatever maybe i didn't see it but i'll be like well you know they got a better angle than me if i really wanted to go look and find the replay like you can usually i can usually always point to something be like you know that's probably why they called that maybe i don't agree with it but they're the refs that's why they called i don't care yeah i mean it was like there was such a big disparity in the first half of that game i was like literally actually getting mad and that's literally that's never happened to me before. Well, I, I think... That- I have never been, like, upset... Because I can usually, like, say, like, you know, I trust them. And, like, they have a better angle than me or whatever. But, yeah. like, there was a bunch of missed stuff. And I felt like it was really lopsided in the first half. And I was actually getting a little angry. Yeah. Well... So I can... I see what you mean. I joke like, now. No, but I, I, I see say what that, you mean. But I don't necessarily... I Actually, what it's I would say... It's been like that for the whole tournament. Well, that's... What, like. what I would say is that what the refs have been doing... And actually, I think this is both in the men's and the women's from the games that I've been watching. 
I feel like they are letting them play too mm. much. They're really letting them like play. Both sides. And I'm not, you know, because Oregon got away with doing the same thing to Belmont several times. I just feel like they're letting, like, people, the players are hacking mm-hmm. and they're not calling it. They're just kind of letting them play. And I, I think they, they should be, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it because, you know, when it's a, when it's a foul, it's a foul. I mean, we were just watching that Zags game. It was a perfect example. The, um, um, the art was Arkansas, right? Mm-hmm. That's who they were playing. Yes. Uh, one of the Arkansas players basically just stuck his foot out and tripped Zag player, who then turned the ball over. No call. Like it was so obvious. Like everyone saw it. How did the ref not see that? They didn't make the call. Turn it over. Arkansas went down the other side. I mean, anyway, the I think the refs are just letting these teams play too much. But anyway, but congrats the Belmont. They got past Oregon. I do think Oregon. They were trying to go through Sabali. Sabali obviously had a lot more size and height. But Belmont was every time Sabali got the ball, they would just collapse, drop three, and I didn't think Oregon was doing a good job of kind of spreading it out once they dropped it to Sabali inside, yeah, and Belmont, then have Sabali kick out to Belmont you know an open her. shot. That, and what was happening is Sabali would still just post up and take her shot, but she wasn't she was missing them. But I felt like Oregon missed an opportunity because they could have done a lot more kicking out to open looks because Belmont was kind of collapsing three players every time when Savali touched the ball. But anyway, they got by him. So then it's another a double double overtime game, by the way. Yeah, that was no a great game. That. And then the next game was a, a good one. Hometown uh, homer alert here too because it was Belmont versus Tennessee women. And you actually got went to that game, mm-hmm. and that was another that was, good game. Belmont. That was I, very fun, and I will say, I'm I'm very kind of disappointed by the the uh, the turnout from Tennessee. I would have thought that there would be a lot more, turnout especially since their, that was basically their on their home court. It, it literally is on their home court. It's the second round. Their men's team was eliminated already. Yeah. So like there was like a lot of people like a lot of UT like like uh, like older people like adults the student section was only about three rows bigger than ours, wow. And we had like I mean we had like an entire like you know like box of seats or whatever like our student section was not like small for like a road game, but they only had like three more rows than us. And if you watch the broadcast like every time we score and every time Tennessee score we were like just as loud as their student section basically yeah. and there were less of us and we were on the road which yeah. is crazy like people in the stadium were like saying like I heard um, one of my friends is a friend that goes to UT and she was there and she like some some of the UT fans were saying like like we've never seen a student section like that before which nice. is fun so it was, I was saying like it was a very fun game that's cool and yeah. I'm kind of disappointed that Tennessee didn't have that for their own home team you yeah, know I is, was kind of sad about that yeah that is surprising I would have thought it would've, they would have packed the house well and they because they had a good team this year too mm-hmm. so they move on and uh, three who do they face so they face uh, Louisville I say Louisville Louisville but um, such a good game man yeah that was came back and from then, 12 at the half only we went up lost by three in like the final seconds i will say apparently like the last like minute of that game probably took like 40 minutes yeah. which was ridiculous yeah but. it did take a long time uh the yukon game after that uh they were facing uh central florida ucf and that was a good game although yukon got past them south carolina is rolling they're the number one ranked women's team in the country and looking strong um so the next i think the sweet 16 uh, there's a lot of good games if you like basketball 
I would check out a lot of the women's games coming mm-hmm. up in the Sweet 16 because you got UConn and Indiana face-off should be a good one. Stanford and Maryland, that's another good one. Uh, NC State, Notre Dame should be good. We just talked about Tennessee and Louisville going to be matching up. Of course, anytime South Carolina plays, they're one to watch, as is UConn with uh, Beckers, Paige Beckers there. So um, anyway, it's uh, some some lot of good interesting games there on the women's side. Uh, where else do we want to go? I think that's pretty much it. All right. I think that is the show. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We're getting ready to head out to the Mint Collective. We leave tomorrow, and we'll be out there this weekend. So um, we'll give everyone an update on that next week. But, Brandon, go ahead and take us out. So, yeah, we hope you enjoyed today's show. Feel free to let us know what you like or don't like or things you'd like to hear more. Like we said at the top of the show today, we do love to hear from our listeners and get feedback so we can make the show better and more enjoyable. Remember to check us out on social media, like and subscribe and follow our pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yeah, and tell all of your family and friends about us as well. Get them to listen to the show. We'd really appreciate that. That's a wrap. Show 22 is in the books. Thanks again, and we will see everyone next Friday, same time, same place here on the 615 Collector.